Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DirtCast. I am so excited to be back after a little break. Our uh, producers needed to rest on their laurels for a couple days, so we were off last week. Now we're back at it, and our guests this week are very good. We have Kevin Dixon and Jack Katsoyan, who are celebrity experts, I'm going to say, and they are co-authors of the new book Blind Item, which is a novelization of all of these real Hollywood stories that they have collected through their years as tabloid editors and working as publicists. So they sort of fictionalized it in this very thinly veiled collection of very insane celebrity stories. And so we're excited to talk to them about it. Interns are trouble. I had an intern sleep with a pop star once and I was like, wait, 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 wait. no, no, you're, how old are you? And it was horrible. We were in a lot of trouble. But first, since I'm all by my lonesome in the studio this week, we're going to do an abbreviated Dirtiest Dirt. Um, but this is actually kind of exciting. Sofia Coppola, she won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which never really happens to women. I think it's only happened once before, and it was Jane Campion for the piano. But her movie, uh, which is like the Civil War thriller starring Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst and Colin uh, Farrell, not Firth, Colin Farrell and Elle Fanning. Um, it's called The Beguiled. It's a remake. Um, but it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which rarely happens. So it's so nice to see this movie about scary Southern white ladies finally getting its moment to shine. You're our most unwelcome visitor, and we do not propose to entertain you. You'll find them easily amused. You won't be here long enough for that. But speaking of Cannes, another person is talking about women directors there, and that person is Jessica Chastain, who went on a bit of a tear about how disappointed she was about the representation of women that she saw on the screen at Cannes and how she really feels like that's because there's not enough female directors. And you know what? I have nothing snarky to say about that. She's right. She's right. Even if she sounds like a robot or an alien who just really quickly learned English while she's talking about it. This is the first time I've, I've watched 20 films in 10 days and I love uh, movies. And the one thing I really uh, took away from this experience is how the world views women from the female characters that I saw represented. And it was quite disturbing to me, to be honest. And uh, with, there are some exceptions, I will say. But for the most part, I was surprised with um, the representation of female characters on screen in these films. And I do hope that when we um, include more female storytellers, we will have more of the women that I recognize in my day-to-day life, um, ones that ha- are proactive, have their own agencies, um, um, don't just react to um, the men around them. They have their own point of view. But of course, there's always going to be some love is dead news. And this week, it's that couple of 17 years, Ben Stiller and Christine Taylor, who you probably know as the star of Nickelodeon's Hey Dude, they are getting divorced, which is um, always sad to see, like, a longtime couple calling it. But also, I kind of respect it, where it's like, you know what? We still got time. We're not happy together. We're going to go. We're going to try some new things. Ben Stiller, I'm sure, like, with his new lease on life, he's been clean from prostate cancer for a long time. 
He's going to go. He's going to find himself. Some embarrassingly young honey show up courtside at basketball games. Um, and he's just going to, like, do what a lot of middle-aged men do, which is uh, embarrass themselves, but also in a way that other people find admirable. Um, but here is their statement on it. With tremendous love and respect for each other and the 18 years we spent together as a couple, we have made the decision to separate. Our priority will continue to be raising our children as devoted parents and closest of friends. We kindly ask that the media respect our privacy at all time. We will do our best, Ben and Christine. And I'm sorry that I said that you were married for 17 years when really you've been together for 18. Who could disrespect that one lone year that I forgot? Now I had the time of my life No, I've never felt like this before Yes, I swear it's the truth And I owe it all to you Cause I had the time of my life And I owe it all to you So if you're curious about the monstrosity that just finished filling your ear holes. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry about that, but you needed to hear it to get into this other thing that we should probably talk about, which is the ABC Dirty Dancing remake, which was the most embarrassing thing of all time. Like, it almost felt like it was a prank on Abigail Breslin, who was cast as baby, just because it was so clumsy and clunky, and it didn't make her seem charming at all, which is, you know, Jennifer Grey in the original so charming. Patrick Swayze in the original, also very charming. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Now Johnny Castle is being played by a guy named Colton, which is, seems to be the name that like every actor under the age of 23 is using. They're all Coltons. And I just want to say, too many Coltons. It's too, it's not a real name, except for if you're a listener named Colton, in which you are the exception to the rule. And I'm sure the name fits you much as it would a uh, strong and, uh, I don't know, I would say award-winning horse. Um, the only reason I'm talking about this is because I just got a publicity email advertising the DVD and digital HD version that arrives later this month, and I'm just trying to imagine the human being who is just like, you know what, like, I could watch the original Dirty Dancing. It's on Netflix. It's really good. Or I could pay money to buy the new version starring Abigail Breslin and have it on a DVD, which I likely can't play on most of my household items. It's just like another misstep in the marketing of this terrible, terrible made-for-TV movie, um, which never should have been made or even thought about. And yet, it's still trying. It's still trying to make some bucks, sort of like, sort of like Baby preparing for the dance competition uh, with Johnny. Lucky Frank. Lucky. 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 Look, spaghetti on. This is my dance space. This is your dance space. I don't go into yours, you don't go into mine. You gotta hold the frame. Again? Frame. This is just like trying to do the steps again and again. Never, it's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. ABC version of Dirty Dancing, you will never be able to do the lift. Mark my words.
So this week on the podcast, we are so excited to have Kevin Dixon. He is the former editor at In Touch and Life and Style, and also Jack Ketsoyan, who is a veteran publicist. He owns the boutique agency EMC Bowery, and both of them co-authored the book Blind Item. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi there. So start of the new book tour, right? You guys are launching... You're doing all your publicity today. You're the first. (laughs) Thank you so much. What an honor. (laughs) It's been a long time. (laughs) So I'm curious. Both of you have worked in the celebrity publicity industry for years, either on the tabloid side, or I'm sorry, the celebrity weekly side, and on the publicist side. And so I'm wondering, like, what drove you to get into fiction? Well, honestly, it's a lot of my friends, this is Jack, a lot of my friends kept on asking me, you know, tell us the tell us stories, tell us stories. And they're stories that I can't really talk about or even say about. So, and everyone was like, one day you need to write a book, we need to write a book. And then, you know, that actually came true when me and Kevin met together. And then we put the stories together and here we are. Were you friends before you started writing the book or did you just meet and hit it off and you both had a lot of uh, gossip to share? This is Kevin. Um, We met a long time ago, um, Jack was handling Tara Reid, I believe, and he was also, and so therefore that was a pretty tricky client, especially when coming with what the tabloids wanted to get on her. So we would meet in L.A. whenever I was out here. I was living in New York at the time, and we would talk about what we can do, what we could do with Tara Reid at the time. And over the years, we would meet pretty much weekly for lunch to discuss what I had on his clients and what I needed from him. And at the end of those lunches, we would become friends and share stories that were unprintable, but great stories. And that we'd always joke that one day we would fold them up somehow into a book, and that's what we did. So, I mean, what the book boasts is that this is all sort of based on true gossip um, that you guys have collected over the years. And I'm wondering, did you stretch the truth a little bit in certain places, or are the most ridiculous parts the um, truest? Well, writing a book, we wanted to write a novel that was that would stand on its own. It's almost like a meta experience that you can take away from it and go, oh, I wonder who this person is. But the people that are in the book, the characters are fictional characters. They are people that we created. We based them loosely on sort of stereotypes in a way, but then we made them human. But the stuff that happens to them, we didn't have to stretch the truth. Right. Those are all stories that have actually occurred or if it actually has happened. Some stuff probably got scaled back a little bit, if anything, because you know, I'm sure you know, the stuff that you hear is ridiculous. Right. Stranger than fiction, kind of. Much. Yeah. So there's a part in the book where (laughs) your main protagonist, Nicola, uh, has a sexual encounter with sort of a former TV heartthrob, and he... (laughs) farts at the end of it. Um, <laughs> is that that like one of those true anecdotes? Yes, of course. Oh. And one of the things that's super funny is the people that have read the book think they know. People in the business will call and go, I know who you're talking about. You're definitely talking about this person. We've heard this story about that person. So they're wrong. They've been wrong every single time so far. Really? Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's an anecdote towards the end of the book that's a, one. we throw a lot of them in in passing. And one of them that's there an editor, I can't say which magazine, called me and he goes, oh, I can't believe you'd be so willing to do an, an English celebrity in your book. And I went, who are you talking about? And he said towards the end of the book, this scandal. And he went into great detail about it being an English couple. And I was like, that's not the story I heard. And I heard it from a killer source. But that's crazy that it would exist in two countries. Two celebrities have the same fetish. That's great. <laughs> and they should all get to be open about it, you know? I guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess the U.S. don't have like a lot to manage if they're able to share it all. No, you can't. I mean, it's 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 there. If they're willing to talk about it, it's gonna at some point. It's gonna end up somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, can you give us like any clues about some of the people you're writing about? We can't really because they're not. Actual people, like we, like people have come back and said, this is the story of Paris and Kim, given that both of us have history with both of those people, and it's really not. Like, those people weren't in our minds when we did, that would be such a stupid move. And kind of a boring one. So, no. No, not really. Gotta keep the mystery going so that people get to be excited to actually start guessing who these people are. And, you know, the number one person that everyone tries to guess is Nicola. That's the number one person that everyone thinks that they know, but they don't. I thought, like, the one that I was working really hard to figure out was Seamus, which is sort of like the actor movie star who Nicola becomes involved with. That's Gotta great. dig hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, I don't know. I think I spent a lot of time trying to be like, okay, this person sort of reminds me of, you know, this Disney star, this type of thing where... It was, like, very fun to try to place it, but also a very challenging exercise. But don't you—I also agree—I th- oh, I also agree with myself, which is smart. I also think <laughs> that when you find out the true identity of a blind item, it's always a bit of a letdown. I know that for years I've been on the Pop Bitch mailing list, which is a U.K. gossip email, mm-hmm. and they have really good blind items. And I used to know a girl that got a job there, and so she—you could email her, and she would tell you who the people were. And it was always like, oh, oh, great. There was someone from Big Brother. That's really boring. Okay. It was much better when I thought, you know, when you thought it was an English superstar. Like, Sir Michael Caine did that. But then you're like, no, it was the guy from Big Brother. It's boring. Yeah, I guess that is sort of a letdown. Yeah, and I suppose, like, a lot of the fun of blind items is just, like, guessing with your friends and trying to figure out, you know, like, exactly. place together your stories uh, that you share. And also a lot of people have fantasies for about certain celebrities and certain people. So when they're reading, sometimes they put that fantasy into into characters thinking, oh, this is the person that I actually fantasize about. It's actually this person doing it. So like you said, when they find out who it is, then it kills that fantasy that they have. So keep that fantasy for them going. Well, and one thing I found really intriguing about the story that you guys wrote is how, so Nicola is sort of a an aspiring publicist, but she ends up getting s- sent out by her boss on dates with celebrities so that it looks like they have a girlfriend. And I'm wondering how often things like that actually happen. A lot, a lot. You'll be surprised. We've I've, I've set up so many dates with certain people and in certain scenarios that we, it happens a lot, especially when uh, that A-list movie star has a movie coming out or a big project coming out. And they're not getting the publicity that they're supposed to be getting. You want to start causing some drama out there, so you set them up. So you just like set them up with a pretty girl and hope that people report on it. Exactly, and and, and you'll be surprised. And some of them do. There's contracts involved, and there's years involved in some some cases. So it depends on the length and the you know and the things that they have to do. It just, it just depends on the person. But contracts are involved in this. It must be such a strange job too for those people who are just like basically stand-in escorts, um, where, I mean, they must just know so much stuff. Well, a lot of times, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, they get the perks out of this. You get a lot of perks out of it. So a lot of the girls don't care, and the vice versa. And if it's an, uh, you know, up-and-coming actress or an up-and-coming actor, you know, overnight they could be famous. You know, overnight they could... It's all of a sudden the roles that they were not getting overnight, they're getting roles. They're getting campaigns now. So it, it changes their life completely as well. So, you know, the, the other, you know, there's no upside 
to this. You you get you definitely get something out of it. It just it depends on when your contract is done, how you're going to survive continuing doing what you did to keep the momentum going. God, that's so it's so um insidious, but it also like feels very old Hollywood system, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> it is really old Hollywood, but even from the flip side, working for a tabloid, you can say tabloid, it's okay. I would work with starlets, people that were on TV shows, and they would always ask how to get to the next level, and it was by choosing the right partner. So I remember working with a number of people, not not just one or two, but like every woman that we would do a photo shoot with, how can I get to the next level in In, in Touch or In Life and Style? And you would be trying to get them with someone who could raise their star a little bit. So, for example, when Cristiano Ronaldo came to the U.S. for a little while, he was a very popular target, and it worked quite well. Yeah, I bet. For quite a few people. (laughs) Well, and he's such, like, an international celebrity, too. Well, that's what you need, because if you're not going to make it in the U.S., you can always date him and then go, go on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here in the U.K., and you have a career. Definitely. Well, and Kevin, in your... uh you recently participated in an oral history of the Kim Kardashian sex tape, better known as Kim Kardashian Superstar, that Page Six put out. And actually, one of the most intriguing parts of that was your anecdote about Kim Kardashian being set up with Nick Lachey and sort of how this whole plan backfired. And I'm wondering if you could go into that a little bit. It was a thing. Kim was one of the people that I worked with for a lot of time at those magazines. And at the time, Nick was trying to hit on her, and it worked out quite conveniently that they were going to go on a date. And just by sheer luck, and not because she told me at all, we were going to have a photographer there, and that photographer told everybody, and I don't really know why, because she wasn't that big. I guess it would have been a post-Jessica story for the tabs. Yeah, because they had just gotten divorced, right? Yeah, and um, so instead of one paparazzi waiting outside or in the back alley behind the, ma- the Italian restaurant. It was just an army of paps. I don't even think they went. It was a long time ago. I don't think there were no photos of that. Oh, my God. Well, I think they never like saw each other again. Say pretty um, upfront where you're like, we wanted her to fuck him. We wanted her to have sex with him. And then it just like turned into a one off date. But it got her in the tabloids. Yeah. That, yeah. That's that's a pretty hard, harsh way of looking at it because it wasn't, I think he was, he was nervous about it, about the actual sex part. Yeah. I don't know that they ever did. It's not anything that I heard. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. I was just reading, uh, like, I think it's, it was your quote that it was something where, like, that was sort of what the tabloids were egging her on to do. It would have helped her at the time. She, if they had a relationship, it certainly would have helped. Yeah, definitely. Because back then, she didn't have her TV show. Right. Um, back then, she was... Paris's wardrobe assistant, pretty much. I think they were still friends during the Lachey time. Yeah, well, and you were saying that once uh, Kim started to get really famous off of that sex tape, her friendship with Paris kind of fell apart. Well, it was a perfect storm of, you know, two egomaniacs who were friends and and balances of, of attention shifting dramatically. Paris also went to jail that year. Um, she had a pretty she had a pretty rough year for celebrity. Sure, it was quite often Paris's <laughs> weekly phone call from jail, and it wasn't a great time. That's insane that she would. I mean, I guess it makes sense that she is really publicity focused, but the fact that she would be calling, you know, an in touch editor or maybe we're at Life and Style at the time. I was at in touch. At in touch, yeah, just to like I don't know with whatever her twenty minutes a week are. Mm-hmm. One time she called me to write. To, I thought she was giving me a story, but then she said I couldn't use anything she said, and then she called Barbara Walters. <laughs> so, so I was like the dry run for Babs. Yeah, she was like, yeah, what can I, let me practice on this guy, see how it goes. Yeah, it was like working out a new stand-up routine. 
<laughs> That's great. Yeah, I would love to see Paris Hilton do stand-up. So would I. She's funny. I like Paris. I have nothing bad to say about her. We had a good time together. That's great to hear. Um, was it more, mostly a working relationship or were you guys uh, friends? And I know, Jack, you worked with her too, right? Yes. I were represented around two years almost. It's tricky. It would sound stupid to say that we were friends, but we did actually spend a lot more time together than we needed to. Um, I was a judge on Paris Hilton is my new best friend, and I spent a lot of time just sitting on set because I could get out of work. If I said I was going to be on set, I didn't have to be in touch. I could just go and sit and talk to her all day for weeks. God, I completely forgot about that show. And it had, like, its runway was on water, right? <laughs> it was, I don't know. It was filmed in the, the Monster Energy House in Beverly Hills. It was such a disaster. Oh, my God. I just remember, like, her throne that she got to sit on was very exciting. Mm-hmm. I did sit in that throne. Yeah, and she always was really funny on The Simple Life, too, where it's like she came off uh, much more witty than her public persona would suggest. She plays dumb. She's not stupid. She's definitely not stupid. Yeah. I mean, and it's worked out well for her. Like, she still she still is, is making money. She's still DJing in Ibiza. <laughs> we should all be so lucky. <laughs> Jack, I'm wondering if you can tell us some stories about uh, your time in crisis management as a publicity, as a PR rep, Um, just because I imagine that you have dealt with some very crazy celebrity demands and incidents, especially if you're representing people like Tara Reid or Paris Hilton. There's been a lot out there, but I mean, it just... um... For some reason, for a while, I was representing girls after girls who were troublemakers, and that's what I was doing. I was doing damage control 24-7, and, you know, the phone wouldn't stop ringing. But, you know, there's tips and tricks that you have to do to get them out of it. I'm not really going to say any stories because we don't want people out there to know about it. But it's very—you have to craft things, basically. You you know, you have to shift things around— or do the opposite of what's happening uh, with them at the moment and make them do certain things. And, you know, we'll, we'll call the, <clears throat> the photographer to get them coming out and doing certain things. Just there's a lot of ways to flip it around. And one of the things I say is a lot of publicists don't want to work with the weeklies, but the weeklies are the ones who are controlling these stories. So if you end up working with them, you end up sometimes killing the story or shifting the story to benefits the your client. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes out there that a lot of publicists don't want to deal with the weeklies and didn't want to work with them. Yeah, sometimes the weeklies will be good to you and then they'll turn against you. You just never know. But 99% of the time in my experience that I was able to kill the story or I was able to shift the story to to something different than it was coming out. Yeah, it, that seems like obviously the brighter move as a publicist just because it is such a an I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine industry, right? You would assume so, but a lot of the publicists have this pride in them that we don't we don't work with the tabloids or we don't work 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 with the weeklies because we're not way beyond that. So, I think that's when you make the biggest mistake is seeing that way. It's you, you need these people as much as they need you. So, it you got to work Sure, with them. and does that just mean like calling up Kevin and asking, you know, what he has on your client and seeing how you can shape that? 
Absolutely. You know, a lot of times you could call and find out what they have, and then you could add, give them a couple of stories, and the story shifts as benefits your client, you know. So it all depends on how you navigate the story. So it, it's really, I say it's really important to be be friendly with these people and work with them because it's going to, at the long run, it's going to help you out. And especially nowadays, I feel like back in the day, you could have protected your client and there is stories would be, wouldn't come out. But nowadays with the social media and that everything that goes on, nobody's protected anymore. So you even need these people more than you did not back even then. Because every secret is eventually nowadays it, it pops up. Well, out. and Kevin, what's that like from the other side as the an editor who gets those phone calls. It was fine. Jack was one of the few publicists that would actually work um, to contra something. Like if you had a photo of a starlet with a huge line of coke in front of her and a dollar bill up her nose, and it's pretty clear what what the next frame is going to be, you could talk to any publicist in the world and they'll just be like, that's not my client. You're like, we can run this photo. Like I don't like that sort of journalism. And that was like one of we, and you're not really going to run it in, in in touch, let's face it. You're not going to show someone taking drugs. But that's a great leverage photo to get them to announce their pregnancy with you. You go, hey, if we don't run this, can you give us like a relationship story instead, which is actually more worthwhile. And so, so if readers you had would a almost rather story, read happier stories than they would uh, scandal stories. Is that what you're saying? Well, I was my job was to be I was the features editor of those magazines. So my job was to provide actual celebrity contact. My job was also, because I had a good relationship with most publicists, to call the shitty story. Pardon, can I say shitty? Yeah. Oh, I, it was my job to call on a Monday and say, hey, listen, we have this story, Jennifer Aniston's publicist, and they would just say, we deny it. And so all I legally, legally need from them is to then tell my lawyer that the publicist has denied the story. Right. But in some cases, the publicist is like, I really want to kill that story. And so then you're looking at two pages that are going to die, which is fine. You can fill them with some other story or a photo story if I'm going to get a Q&A because at In Touch and Life and Style, it's pretty hard to get people to agree to a Q&A because those magazines have a pretty poor reputation with publicists. Right. So if I could trade that up, or and this is, the, is not the only way that we got people to cooperate, but it was a pretty convenient way to get people to cooperate with, hey, then let's do a, a photo-based story at your house or some other thing. That fills four pages next week. Well, it was really interesting in the page six oral history how um, Marty Singer, Kim Kardashian's lawyer, at every single quote was like, we deny this. This isn't true. We deny it. But because they asked, they got to run the story anyway. Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, I don't really want to be that the Kardashian person. I worked very closely with him for a really long time. And when he says stuff like that, I'm like, dude, do you not think I have all the emails and all the texts and all the voicemails and stuff? I legally needed them for my work. Right, definitely. I mean, and you can't so be if, sloppy when you work in the tabloids because if you are, you no. will get sued. <laughs> and you will get sued, and a lot of your time is spent speaking to the lawyers. And if, for example, someone was a source for me, which was denied in that story, I would have to have proof that they were sourcing. I can't just go, oh, hey, someone called me with this, the true story here. Here it is. I have to go, here's the email from the person's email address or the text from their phone number. Do you accept this as evidence that we can run this story. So, yeah, Marty Singer can deny whatever he wants, but we... Yeah, but he can't really stop the stop the process. I actually could tell you one story about how working with a tablet ends up helping you out. I had a client who had some photo, photos had leaked of her, very nudie photos. It was really compromising. It was really damaging. 
So I called one of the tabloids. I was like, hey, I know there's this photo's being shopped around and they would not sell it to my client because she was willing to pay whatever. But the person who had it wanted to damage her. So I called one of the tabloids, had a conversation and gave them her wedding was coming up. So we gave them a, the wedding story and they ended up buying the photos and killing the photos for us. So working with the tabloids, I, I, I always say you end up benefiting sometimes. Yes, sometimes it would backfire, but 99% of the time I would say it's helpful. Like, I mean, they bought the photos and those pictures never came out. and They kept their promise. Yeah. I mean, it sounds very symbiotic. It's definitely symbiotic. And when it works, it works really, really well. Do you guys see any um, celebrities out there right now who are just, who just need new publicists because they are particularly messy? Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to say those names. I'll keep it to myself to that. <laughs> it just seems like right now people, the, the craziness of the earlier part of this century seems to have definitely died. Like we don't have like a bunch of crazy people clubbing every night. That's just not happening anywhere. I feel like anything that happens nowadays, it end up, ends up on Snapchat or ends up on Instagram. So it's, you know, the, I think the celebrities are our fault at the moment, even bigger now, because if they're wasted or they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, they're actually putting it out there themselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are in... I'm sure much to a lot of publicists' chagrin, <laughs> where it's just, you know, someone can just fire off a string of tweets rather than go through them. Honestly, uh, it's been—it's a publicist nightmare. The, uh, the tweeting and the Instagram is an, uh, an actual publicist nightmare because, especially when they have a divorce drama or any kind of drama going on, the Twitter trolls come out and start attacking you. And there's a certain amount of time that you could take something and then you have, you know, you they feel like they have to backfire. And then when it back, back, they say something back, it becomes this bigger story. So that's the, it's 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 a nightmare for a publicist. It's a nightmare. So that's why you're like, please get off Twitter. Please don't, re- don't read the comments or please don't do this. So it's not a, sometimes I would take down, the, 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 make the, the celeb- celebrity, you know, delete their account for a while because the Twitter trolls are, could be very har- harmful. Oh, I bet. I mean, we have to deal with that on a much smaller scale. So it's like, I can only imagine. And the other thing I feel like social media and, and the advent of really high quality cell phones have driven the party scene private. And that's been something that definitely has happened here where a lot of like party houses have sprung up and after hours have sprung up. But you don't get to take your phone. You don't get like if you're not a super celebrity, your phone is in a in a bag at the front with a security guard watching it. Um, that's been going on for years, for like a decade, yeah. where it's become much more prevalent. Back in the day, you could just go from Hyde to someone's house, but now it's all at the house and everything's checked. And the 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 stories that we're hearing are worse. There's like truly horrifying things happening at these parties, but it's it's all under wraps. It's all well protected and guarded. And it's just like, like in the book, they use houses that are left over from the end of a reality TV shoot, or they're just sitting vacant and they get used for a month or two as a party house till the neighbors complain and it gets shut down. What a, what a life, like what a, they're all such rolling stones. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. Um, So as two experts sort of of the celebrity industry, and you don't have to name names, but again, you can, if you want to, are you, there people who um, you, you maybe don't represent or don't know, but you it's just really obvious what they're trying to do where like you're like, yeah, that's definitely a fake couple. Yeah, that story definitely got planted. 
Can you guys just spot that from a mile away? Absolutely. Actually, certain person just got, uh, they separated a couple of weeks ago, and that was the setup situ- situation. So they were together for three years. The contract expired, and she moved on. Oh, my God. And she was the beard. Are the contracts actual legal contracts? Uh, it's an yeah. actual real contract, yes. It's an actual contract that you have to follow certain rules, and you have to do certain things. And it helped this certain person a lot. Her movie, her career went skyrocketed actually she she's working a lot good for her i guess <laughs> you can see you can see these fake like the setup ones a mile off and they they begin and end with pretty much a cold precision you can spot them pretty easily and they're usually the time period is two to three years that's when you kind of like know you're like oh the, the the third year mark all of a sudden they move on that is such a long time to be in a fake relationship it is but also it it's if you know a lot of these starlets especially they're so hungry for it, I you know, and they'll do anything f- to get the fame and the fortune and everything that else comes up with it. Because with, especially with girls, it's a lot more difficult to get jobs, especially after, you know, sadly, uh, they say in Hollywood after 32, it's you're kind of, it's, it's over for a girl, but a man could work until their 60s and their 70s. So a lot of these girls have the time span of short time, time span, so that they have to make it or it's like, over for them. So they'll, they're willing to do anything, and especially if you're an actress who's been auditioning for years and you're still not getting the role and all these other people are getting the roles over you, then you're like, okay, what's my plan B now? Yeah, because you have to raise your Q score, you have to raise your visibility, and it's an easy way to do it. And if the publicist or the agents set up a relationship, they can control both parties, which is great because we've both seen relationships where uh, an actress picks a guy and wants to date this guy and then the guy's a disaster, and he's selling to the tabloids. He'll sell her out. And we've both worked with that, where you're like, wait, where's the leak? Oh, it's your boyfriend. Great. Yep, it's the call is coming from inside the house. The call is definitely coming from inside the house, and that's why we're getting, like, photos of you at everything. It's crazy, because the boyfriend is the source. But also, sometimes you just see them together at a premiere. You see them, you know, like, doing certain little things in there because they both have working careers going on. So it's not like they're together 24-7. So it's not like you have to deal with that person every single day. You're not—so it's like, you know, they're like, oh, he—well, he lives on the East Coast, and I'm living in L.A. right now because that's where my career is. So we see each other twice a month. So— it's easy. It's doable. It's not like you are moved in with this person and completely have lost your life. It's not like that whatsoever. They you guys just are giving some sloppy. like very good clues where it's like, okay, living on opposite coasts together for two to three years aren't seen together that often. My favorite fake couple have been together for a really long time. <clears throat> and I'm so obsessed with them. And I can't even tell you until I come to New York and we get drinks and I'll tell you everything. But you'll be like, Oh, my God, it was in my face for so long. I'm going to make you do that. I would love to. <laughs> it's on the books. And that couple's not in this book. Like That's a story that I've been following. I was like a journalist at Cosmo in the 90s in Australia, and this came up. And I interviewed someone who told me the whole thing. And I've just watched it, and it's been like clockwork annually for so long. It's just so funny how, like, everyone, even people who aren't in the industry, tend to have some stories like this where it's just like, yeah, my friend had sex with... Leonardo DiCaprio, and this is what happened. And it's just like these things get passed around and everybody knows about it, but no one can print it because it's, you know, it's hearsay or that type of thing. Right. And a lot of times you think when your friend is saying that, you're like, oh, sure, you know, another one who's trying to make himself look cool or whatever it is. But in you know, actuality, you'll, you'll be surprised because I've had some interns who've come in and be like, 
I just did this last night. I'm like, excuse me? And then my assistant will be like, yeah, believe it or not, she did go home with him. I'm like, okay, now I get it. Interns are trouble. I had an intern sleep with a pop star once, and I was like, wait, 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 no, no, you're, how old are you? It was horrible. We were in a lot of trouble. Well, and I bet because, like, interns are ambitious uh, and also young and horny. Yeah, and they brought coffee to a photo shoot, and then the next morning we are like, wait, oh, no. No, I had an intern, actually, who had a list of guys that she wanted to basically sleep with by the time she was married. And and, and she worked for us. We didn't even know she had a list. I think she was about two years she worked for us, and then she confessed about this list. And on top, the top of that list, she had already done, like, five people. And I was like, wow, okay. Dang, kill it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knock it out of the park. Um, do you feel like there's anybody who's going to get who's going to be, like, angry about this book or who's going to maybe recognize themselves or think they recognize themselves and give you an earful? Maybe, but the funny thing about this book is we're presenting, we're we're showing you sample size scandals. And if you claim that it's custom fit, then more fool you because it's probably, A, you're probably wrong and and vaguely self-important. And B, no one's going to own up to this. No one's going to be like, yep, I fart when I come. Like, that's not going to happen. And that was one of the reasons we created this uh, fictional characters, so that people do have a hard time guessing who these real celebrities are, so that nobody gets angry and nobody's mad at us or any any of this, any, anything like that. And like Kevin said, if you're going to own up to it, then there's nothing I could do about it. But it would be weird. I feel like it would be weird because we don't fictionalize, but we've, We've told we've told a story. We've told a fiction around your your scandal, and now if you're claiming it, it would be weird. It and quite often there's composite scandals that that, that dovetail quite well. So we use them. Your book has characters, and there's a plot and an arc, and all of that too. So it is very to pick out one thing uh, would be very uh, stupid of a celebrity. I would say it would be stupid and weird. And yeah, and as the the characters became more full as we were writing it. There were things that they wouldn't do. There are things that when you've got a character that is becoming more fully fleshed, they will and won't do things very definitely. Do you see the uh, Blind Item as a book that kind of welcomes sequels? Just because it seems like this is a bottomless well of resources as far as like celebrity gossip goes. It does. We, we, yeah, I'm, I don't know if we're supposed to even be talking about it, but we've actually finished the sequel. Oh, cool. Great. Breaking. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah, I'm, we have to actually even check with our publicist if we're allowed to talk about it. They haven't announced it yet. Your publicist can then call me and give me something in return. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're Blackmail like, us now. Here's some nude shots of Kevin and Jack. They'll be like, oh, just run it. <laughs> just run it. <laughs> um, our listeners will love that. We're, 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 our nude, our nude pics are good for radio. Yeah, I bet. That's what I've always felt like where I sort of have um, a voice for the silent pictures and a face for radio. We'll have good drinks. Those are all the questions I have, but I really appreciate all the time that you spent with us. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's fine. I'm so obsessed with this podcast. I feel like I'm a bit starstruck. It's quite funny. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That's so sweet. Any podcast that has um, a dramatic reading of the Yelp reviews of Sir is my favorite thing in the world. Those ratings are... Have you eaten there? Sadly, yes. I do like the sangria. (laughs) Their white sangria is really good. I have to confess to that. She is one person who is so good with the tabloids. She's an artist with tabloids at Lisa Vanderpump. She's so good. Well, that's a lot of the drama on Beverly Hills is that 
Lisa Vanderpump has had a lot of drama in the past because she allegedly plants stories about people. She, I remember once I had a story on her, and it wasn't terribly bad, but she's like, come and have, we'll, t- we'll discuss it at Via Blanca. And when I got there, she's like, oh, why don't you sit next to Brandy, who I was, she was so unattainable, I could never get Brandy to work with us. And Lisa's just like, oh, here, sit next to Brandy, have lunch. And it was amazing. That's crazy that and, Brandy and, Glanville would not jump at any opportunity <laughs> to work with um, you. No, she was she was a tough one to get. Um, I think we're doing her podcast in a few weeks, which will be exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah. She's going to be fun. But yeah, all of those, because because of knowing Paris, I spent a lot of time around Kyle and Kim years ago when when it was like, oh my God, you were in Escape to Witch Mountain or whatever. Right. They were the superstars at those parties because of their past before they had a TV show. Um, yeah, that's... that. And look at them now. <laughs> Especially Kim. Um, so I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and I hope you come back sometime. Thanks for having us. It would be our pleasure. Thanks. so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you so much to Kevin Dixon and Jack Katsoyan. Uh, their book, Blind Item, is out June 6th. You can buy it wherever books are sold. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp, with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Manana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think? Hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.